This is part two of the message I started this morning, and I'm going to cut it short because I, like I said this morning, some of you caught it about Liz Taylor's statement to her last husband. She said, don't worry, I won't be keeping you long either. <laughs> so some of you know who Liz Taylor was. She had eight husbands, all one after another. Anyway, so, but I want you to go uh, to, you can go to Habakkuk, but that's not where we're going to grieve for the moment. We're going to go to Ephesians chapter five. I'm going to talk about the responsibilities of a church vision. Let me just run through these things, and I'll get right to my message here. How many remember what our vision is for 2018? Three words. Anybody remember those three words? Building and battling by the book. That is our burden Our theme verse that has really motivated me is Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 20. says, the God of heaven, he will prosper us. We're not going to look to our own abilities. We're not going to look to our own sufficiency. God's going to do it. Now, I've been here doing this for 23 years. I've only seen God do it. I've seen people say, I can't do it. And I look at them and I go, of course you can't do it. That's why we need God. But he will prosper us. Therefore, if he's going to do it, if he's going to do something, I want to be involved and we, his servants, will arise and build. So we're going to look at the lives of Ezra and Nehemiah and, and the kind of impact they had on rebuilding a nation, <clears throat> both from the heart and worship and to the walls that were needed for protection. So it'll be a, fa- a, a really a fantastic study this year, building and battling by the book, all right? Now, what to do with a vision. Take your Bible and go to Ephesians chapter 5, and when you found that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. <clears throat> and Father, I hate feeling rushed, and yet I know that um, uh, it's been a full day. I'm glad for these who are here. I'm glad that we get to uh, spend time with you and in your word. I ask that you would make it profitable, and that you'd help me be a blessing and an encouragement, but also help me to be what you, to say what you would say if you were here. Just reach down into our hearts and, and kick us into gear. Help us to be excited about 2018. I know that I know that I know that one after another, things that are going to happen in this world are going to pull the rug out from under us, are going to discourage us, going to defeat us. We're going to hit walls. We're going to fall and stumble struggle. We need to have a vision that looks well well beyond the storms that we may go through. Lord, we need that vision to empower us and to pull us through. So every year we take this time and we, we get the vision. I pray, God, that it would just so bless our hearts and thrill our hearts that we get to be a part of it. I thank you for these who are here. I just pray that everyone here tonight and everyone else that ought to have been here tonight will pick up the mantle and say, Lord, count me in. Help me, Lord. Help me to get involved. Help me to be a part of what it means to be a church, a body, a team of believers. Lord, I I pray that you just get the glory. We don't have, just as Brother John was saying, you're working with teens, you're working with just the last bits of a possibility before they head off into the world and off a cliff. Lord, I think we're rapidly winding up the time on this earth. How much time we have left, I just want to be busy. And I want to 
do something that matters. May we do something extraordinary. In Jesus' name, amen. First thing is, and this is, um, uh, let's go ahead and go to Habakkuk chapter 2. Start off there in Habakkuk chapter 2. I, it's not going to be expository tonight. Now, if you have, don't know where Habakkuk is, you should be ashamed. <laughs> Just go to Matthew and then turn left. And you'll hit a few small books. They're called Minor Prophets. And uh, Habakkuk's got three wonderful chapters. Uh, tremendous uh, emotional extremes Habakkuk goes through. And uh, Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 1 says... The burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. Now notice that word burden. Sometimes the prophets would write and say the vision. Something that, that Isaiah saw. Something that Daniel saw. But here, Habakkuk didn't just say it's something he saw. It was something he felt. He says it was a burden on me that God gave me. And may that be true in your life. That this is not just something that pastor sees or that you see, but that you feel. What you do with that vision? What do you do with that burden? Chapter 2 and verse 2 is our a key verse here. It says, And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision. Write what I'm showing you. And make it plain upon tables. Now, we're, we normally write on paper, or even there, we, we, we write on the computer. But he said, I want you to put it onto a tablet of stone. I want you to make it so that it was permanent, so it would... It would remain there, and so people could see it as they passed by, like a monument. They go, somebody made that for everybody to see, and it would stay and remind people. He says, make it plain upon tables that he may run that readeth it. I like that challenge, is that whatever vision we have, it ought to motivate us, and it ought to motivate people around us. It ought to motivate our kids. You know why most kids don't go to church when they turn adults? Because their parents really didn't care about going to church when they were adults. And they picked that up, and whatever you do in moderation, your kids will do to excess. It's just a standard thing. So what, what we need is for us to be passionate about some things, and our kids will pick up that passion. Whatever vision, whatever burden God gives us, it'll affect our children, it'll affect our teens, it'll affect our world around us. By the way, can I say, Christians are not to be affected by the world. Let me say it like it should be. The world should be affected by Christians. So we need to have a vision. We need to have a burden that if we were to write out, thus saith the Lord, people passing by seeing it, it should make them run. It should motivate them and say, I better flee from the wrath to come. I better get into church. I better get back to my Bible. I better get back to my family. I better get things right. A a burden that God gives us, ought to make us want to run. It ought to motivate us. How does that happen? How do you, how do you, how does, what should I do with what God shows me that I should do? Maybe God says, maybe God's putting on your heart that you would get involved in the soul winning ministry. You know what you should do? You should run into the soul winning ministry. You should not have to be dragged kicking and screaming on a Saturday to go out soul winning. Amen. It ought to make, it ought to motivate you when we have a vision to build I'm sick and tired of watching continual destruction of every moral pillar of our society. We have a queer, we have a sodomite for a t-shirt. How did that happen? It happened because morality has been thrown out the window. 
And what we have is a, a, a give up mentality of, oh, we've just got to get along with everybody. Oh, well, I guess that's just the way things are today. They are not how they should be today. We need to rebuild our society. And we can't rebuild it by government. We have to rebuild it one, two, three souls at a time. We have to win people to Christ. We have to win people to living for God again. And we have to have a burden that says, I'm not going to give up. I want Ireland to be a light in the world. Not the place where, you know, after the same-sex referendum, after that abominable referendum that came into Ireland, they, they immediately afterwards, all the hotels started saying, we're going to make Ireland the queer capital of entertainment and of the world. My heart sank. And I thought, how dare they take what we should have said, we should have said, we want to make Ireland again a place of saints and scholars. That's what we should want. That's what we should have a burden for. So what do I do with this vision? Well, if, if you could understand, the most, go to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. If you could understand the reason why God burdens you and why God lays a burden on you to have an effect on our world and to rebuild some things. Ephesians chapter 5. Um, the reason why he gives you that burden is to humble you and to remind you where you came from. When Israel, and I, I, I've got a lot to say, but I'm going to race through it here. When Israel came out of Egypt and they got into the promised land, you know the first thing God said? Remember, you were slaves once. Remember, you were strangers in a foreign land. Never mistreat a stranger in your land. God said that. Now, the Jews haven't been really good about how they looked on other people. When they looked at other people, they always looked down, didn't they? They always, anybody that wasn't a Jew, they saw as dogs, dumb Gentile dogs. And God said, don't do that. God said very clearly, he said, you remember that you were strangers, that you were slaves, that you were bondmen, that you bore the yoke, the iron yoke, and it broke you. You remember that? Never forget where you came from. Because a burden is to humble you, to remember that you're one beggar speaking to another beggar, telling him where to find bread. So here, let's go to Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 8. Never forget. Ephesians 5, 8. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Listen, don't. Uh, there are some things to forget, but never forget that you used to be a mess. Hopefully you're not still a mess, amen? But never forget the pit from whence you have been saved. Go to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 11. Ephesians 2 and verse 11. Wherefore, remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision of the flesh made by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Remember that time. Remember when you were lost and it, and nobody cared for your soul. And then somebody came, whether, whether it was like for me, it was at a coffee shop and somebody handed me a gospel track and told me I was on, on my way to hell and told me I needed to be born again, completely out of the water. I'd never heard anything like this before in my life. I'm so glad somebody interrupted my life. I remember what it was like to not be looking for God and somebody came looking for me. And so may we all have the burden of Dina. 
who says, you know what, somebody needs to go and, and, and be a part of the nursing home ministry that looks into those eyes that tomorrow may not open and love them and give them the gospel because wouldn't you want your mom or dad to get another chance to get saved if somebody would just go to them, have a burden. Remember where you came from and remember that it was by the grace of God somebody gave you the gospel, whether it was your parents or, <clears throat> or whether it was a church or whether it was a soul winner, whether it was just somebody handed a gospel track out. Look at verse 13. Goes on, chapter 2, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Isn't it wonderful? We're not talking about reminiscing about the old days. We're not talking about reminiscing about the old music and about the old friends. We're remembering what it was like to be lost and it makes us, it humbles us and says, boy, I'm so glad I'm saved. And it motivates us to go and get somebody else saved. Remember the pit from whence you were dug. The worst kind of Christians are those who think they've arrived, who succeeded. They have a leg up on everyone else and they no longer have struggles. Don't you hate being around people who don't see the hell problems? Now, I don't want to be around somebody who says, oh, I feel like I'm dead. No, no, I'm not talking about that extreme either. But there is, there is something good about living in victory over sin. Amen? There's something good about living in victory over temptations, but there's everything wrong with acting like you never struggle with sin. And that you never lived under the yoke of bondage and never were, uh, never lived a life of failure. And that you've always lived like you live now. Every one of us, we are the product of other people investing on us. Our, the blessings we have is because we've done something right for the first time in our lives. We've actually walked by faith instead of by sight. So you need to be able to remember and look back and say, there was a time where I didn't care about God and somebody helped me. I want to be a help to someone else. Secondly, never trivialize what we do here. I don't think you would do that again. As John said, I'm talking to the choir. <laughs> but often... It is the government that is looked to and made out to be the answer to every problem today. God deliver you from that. If you're expecting the government to take care of you and to give you the dole and to, to, to make sure that you have all your health care and you have all of your insurance and you have a house to live in, if you're expecting the government to be your savior, you're in the wrong place, folks. Because we look unto God and we look unto his word. People respect doctors. They respect chemists, they respect counselors, they respect psychiatrists more than they respect preachers. They even respect lawyers more than they respect preachers. <laughs> That's a shame. God established the greatest source of stability for any community, big or small, whether it's in London or Dublin or Jakarta or southern Sudan. It's the local New Testament Bible-believing Baptist church. That's what God puts in the middle of nowhere and says, that's what will save a nation. That's what will turn that city back to God. Government's not going to do it. Your lawyer's not going to do it. Psychiatrists can't do it. And the world, listen, the world will laugh at our Bible clubs. A holiday Bible club. I think it's awesome. Our holiday Bible club, the amount of time we put into it, and the amount of stuff that they learn out on that green and in these in the halls of this these buildings that we teach them. How many of you remember uh, Space Station Genesis? 
We built a space station out there. They got in there. There's an iPad with the view of the Earth from up in the space station there and communications with Apollo and all this stuff. And the kids got in. We taught them that they were not an accident. We taught them that God made this universe. We taught them things they'll never learn in school. And yet, now the world will look and go, oh, wow, holiday Bible club. Let me tell you, never trivialize what we do here. Never go, oh, they're in that Bible club mode. Hallelujah, we're in the Bible club mode. The world may laugh at our children's church lessons. Here's Mona up. She's holding up a picture, and she's trying to get people to understand about uh, um, uh, Joseph um, and, and his brothers and how they hated him, and they sold him off. Or now that she's using, she's getting a little technological, she's using the PowerPoint in the Sunday school. And, and the point is, the world may look at it and they go, it's just a picture. No, it's a truth. It's a truth about forgiveness that no counselor could ever help anybody with, like Josh, like the word, uh, word of God about Joseph can. What about the foolishness of preaching? Say, well, I just don't understand preaching. Neither did I till I got born again. Amen. I'll never forget. I went to church and I sat down. I didn't even have a Bible. And somebody scooted over. I sat in a chair on purpose, about three from three spaces from anybody on that way, three spaces from anybody on that way. And as I sat down, all I had was the hymnal there that was there on the seat. I'm holding on to that thing. The pastor, Pastor Jack Humbert, opened the Bible, began to preach, and this guy scooted right over, right up next to me. And he opened up the Bible and he pointed right where he was reading, and he went down that thing. And I went, I, I went. He's written in English. <laughs> I had no idea. And he said, you need to get your own Bible, amen. And my point is this, the preaching of the word of God to the lost, to the, to the unsaved, what does it say? It is what? It's foolishness. But if you're saved, what is it that happens behind this pulpit? It's the power of God. Amen. People, I want to see the power of God. You see some dumb, ignorant, arrogant Texan getting up behind it and preaching for an hour. That's the power of God, not me. It's that book being preached through a foolish vessel, amen? The world will laugh at it. Hymns. And there we are. I loved it tonight. I mean, Mona trying to keep up with us there. God bless her. But you know, listen to him sung with zest, with zeal, with passion. You couldn't, uh, bass drum, uh, bass guitar, couldn't compete. Hallelujah. The world look and go, well, that's not much music. It is for me. Never trivialize what we do here. I mean, what we do here is we set up, we set up a vision of what Christianity ought to be. Not one of us, thank you. Not one of us is, 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 is living up to the, up to the, to the standard. Not one of us can say we've arrived. But let me tell you this. I know what the standard is. I'm going to preach that standard and I'm going to strive to live for it. Never look down on it. That's why I say to John, I have told him, I says, get everybody in the choir. Even the ones who squeak, squawk, spit, and blurp. Get into the choir. Why? Because that is glorious to the Lord, whether anybody else laughs or claps or is pleased with it. I know he is when we make a joyful noise unto the Lord. What about our prayer meetings? The world will laugh and go, you waste an hour Praying? No, no, no. There's no waste there. Folks, never trivialize what we do. What we do is monumental. We have a vision. How about the money we send to our missionaries? I'll never forget telling my dad, 
My dad was going over my finances. I was at Bible college, and I wasn't making it very well. He said, let's look at your finances. So I pulled them out, and he started looking at, at my expenses, and he went, what is that? And I said, that's my tithe, Dad. He said, tithe? That's, that's 10%. How could you? No wonder you're broke. And I said, no, 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 Dad, you got it reversed. The only reason why I'm not living in a gutter somewhere is because I put God first. He said, and then you give to missionaries? Well, no wonder you're broke. I said, no, 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 Dad, forget that. That's not even part of my finances. You need to help me with the rest of it. That is untouchable. My dad just threw up his hands. I can't help you then. <laughs> Amen. The money, the world looking and go, you're sending money to people in other countries so they can preach over there and start church? Yes, amen, 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 amen. The world will call it foolish. Don't ever trivialize what we do. Don't think that those missionaries are there by accident or just on their own. They're there because we take what we do serious. All our efforts going door-to-door soul winning. I mean, good night. There's only one group more hated than a door-to-door soul winner. You know what it is? A politician. But we do it, don't we? Praise God. All of those are the ways that God saves a nation by. God saves a nation through reaching out to kids with Bible clubs, children's church, with preaching, with hymns. No nation is saved by modern contemporary Christian music. Amen, amen, and amen. No nation has ever had revival based on contemporary Christian music. But those old hymns have brought people to weeping places in their life where they said, God, I'm lost. The message, the messages of the old hymns still ring true in the human heart if they could just hear it. The opportunity to serve. Think about it. I mean, think about it. We're in the powder mills, uh, nursing home. We've got people who work at the powder mill here. We've had, we have an impact. 11 years we've been uh, working our 12 weeks to freedom with addiction. I don't know how many people have been ministered to who never would have had a chance if it weren't for the outreach. 23 years of evangelism, I've estimated we've knocked on 30,000 doors. Some of them five times. Up there in Blarney, I knocked on every door in Blarney five times. We, I, we got to present the gospel to moms and dads and grandmas and granddads and countless children and teenagers. I've had city officials sit in church. I've had Garda, many of them, not on, they're not been looking for me, thankfully, amen, but I've had Garda to preach to, many of whom would never have heard it if we didn't have this church. What we do, every single thing you do, is part of this church, never trivialize. Well, all I'm doing is sweeping. All I'm doing is cleaning the toilets. All I'm doing is hoovering. All I'm doing is setting up for next church meeting. It's huge. Serve with gladness. Don't trivialize the vision for 2018 either. I mean, when I talk about building, folks, we need to build some things. We need to build our families. If we just leave things as they are, where will they be in a year? Where are they going to be in five years? If we're not avidly building and, 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 and investing, what's going to happen? Building. Building, building, building. We need to build. Battling. Go to Romans 8. Go back to the left. Romans chapter 8. I'm skipping a lot of stuff. I'm trying to just rapidly go through some thoughts. Romans chapter 8, verse 37. If there's any battle fiercer, more fierce than the spiritual one going on right now, I don't know where it is. You step out of here. I was in Littles. 
just Friday. What's my youngest? I gotta be very careful about what I say. Three nine-year-old boys that I've, we've had in, in, and they came one day to our Bible club this last year. I've never seen them before. I saw them at the, uh, uh, Bible club and then I haven't seen them since. And three of them came in. I said, hey kids. And they just looked away. You know what they were talking about? At nine years old? Stuff I didn't know what existed when I was 29 years old. These kids were making fun about getting batteries for something that I just wanted to go and find out where they live and just take their parents and throw them out a window. They were talking about something that is so vile. You're sitting there going, what is it, what is it, Pastor? I cannot even say it. And they're just going in there, <laughs> talking about something, and my heart just saying, I know they're nine years old. You want that to just keep growing? and keep infesting and going out throughout the schools and going down to the phones and going on the, uh, into our communities. It is vile. We're in a battle. Romans 8.37 says, Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Christians need to be fully armored and get ready for a victory. We, we cannot trivialize our vision uh, if we're going to build and battle. You know, when, when Nehemiah... And let me just use both of them. When both Ezra and Nehemiah went back to Jerusalem, the city was in ruin. You know what both of them decided? We're going to fix it. We're going to, Ezra said 20 years earlier, we're going to rebuild the, the temple. And 20 years later, Nehemiah says, I'm going to rebuild the walls. He could have looked at rubbish and said, it's, it's beyond hope. He could have said, I can't do anything. You know what he said? I'm going to do something. And I'm going to rebuild those walls. And we've got to have that type of battle mentality, not an argument mentality, where we just go head to head knowing, well, that was fun. <laughs> but that, you know, I want to get into a battle where we actually win. Building, battling. And by the way, folks, we're going to do it by the book. By the book. So we're, we're going to be very careful to do it. Ezra did everything according to the law. According to the word of God. You know, when, when, when Nehemiah came and he rebuilt the walls, he rebuilt them like they were built first day. He didn't build new walls and new fancy walls and new high-rise walls and new windows. And you know what he did? He built the same old walls, the same old foundations, the same landmarks. He, where the tower was, he built a new tower right where it was supposed to be. He put the wall right where it used to be. He put things by the book. Say, well, we need new music. Of course, we need some new music. You can write new music and stuff like this, but we need old principles that guide what we sing. Oh, well, we need, we need new programs. Well, yeah, there are new needs. You gotta meet new needs, but there are old principles that guide and constrain what we do in those, those meeting those needs. Building and battling, by the way. Don't, you look at our picture, you look at that thing and go, oh, it's not a big deal. It's a big deal what we want to do in 2018. Allow our new vision to affect our heart. Look at Lamentations chapter 3, three scriptures, trying to rush through here. Lamentations, right after the book of Jeremiah, a little book. You could, you could label Lamentations the heart of Jeremiah. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 51. <clears throat> Lamentations 3 and verse 51. And really, there's so much background here. Jeremiah is watching as Jerusalem is in, 
is in heaps. He's watching people being dragged out of the city. They are being slaughtered inside the city and slaughtered outside the city by the Babylonians. Children are being separated from their parents. How many remember Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? These were children who were dragged away from their parents and carried off as captives to Babylon. And Jeremiah watched it and it grieved him. But I want to show you what it grieved him. Verse 51 says, Mine eye, what I've seen, has affected my heart. Because of all the daughters of my city. He's looked and he says, when he's talking about the daughters of his city, he's talking about the people, the daughters of Israel and the daughters of Jerusalem. But he says, I've watched as they've been. Talk about abused. Talk about uh, enslavement. Talk about the destruction of a nation. He says, "It because I saw it with my own eyes, it affected my heart. I think that's what we need too. You say, well, Pastor, I don't feel motivated to go soul winning. Come out soul winning with me. Stand at a door and knock on that door and listen as I try to plead with them to, to understand and to receive and to believe the gospel and to flee from the wrath to come. And watch how they respond, mocking. Watch as they, they make fun and make light of. I've had people pull out of their pocket wads of cash and say, that is my God. And their little boy next to them. Isn't that right, son? This is our God. You stand there and you watch that, it'll affect you. It'll affect your heart. He says, man, we need to do this more. Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9, verse 1. Romans 9, 1, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great... What's that next word? I thought Christians weren't supposed to be sad about some things. No? Look at this. I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart, for I could wish that myself were damned. Listen to that word. We're accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are who? Israelites. He watched the Jews going through all the motions in the temple, watched as the Jews trying to tithe of mint and cumin and anise and 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 uh, cinnamon and he watched as the Jews, they were trying to establish their own righteousness. And they never surrendered and submitted to the righteousness of God in Christ. He said, it affected me. It made me sad. It drove me to keep witnessing. Who did Jesus call Paul to witness to and to preach to? What, what nationality? To the Gentiles. But who do you always go back to and try to witness to? He'd always go to the Jews. Why? Because they had his heart. In his heart. If you're a true Irishman, if you're a true Irishwoman, it ought to burn your heart that your people are lost. If you're South African and you've known your people and you've watched your nation just decimated, it ought to burn your heart. You say, God, save our nation again. Turn that around. I'm not trying to tell you what to feel? Let me just tell you, feel something for somebody else. Man. Luke 19. Luke 19. Verse 41. We got so much stuff coming at our eyes in the TV and the news. 
We've got so much coming out of our eyes through the internet and through your computer and your phones. Your eyes don't ever shut down. You ever know what happens when all that happens? It's kind of a crazy statement. You know what happens when all that happens. You know what effect that has on you? You can't, you end up dull. You can't see, you don't notice anything. Maybe you close your eyes to what is going on in the world today, but if you would just open your eyes and see what's happening. Luke 19.41. Jesus, look at what happens. And when he was coming near to the city, he beheld the city and he did what? When he saw. Now, I mean, look, he's God. He's God in the flesh. He sees everything. He knows everything. But in that moment of moment, when he looked, it hit him. As a man, it affected him that the very people that he loved and that he, he healed and he taught and he preached to, he wept over and he says, and you're going to end up killing me too. It broke him. I think what's coming is has been coming for decades, by the way. There is such filth and abuse going on, and it's been going on for 50, 100 years. I don't know how long it's been going on. But forget women's rights. Forget about all of the push these days for for equal rights and all this stuff. You better start worrying about children and infants, folks. You've got some angry women in Hollywood. They're tearing down every man they can, and I think they should. But let me tell you this. The problem's not just between men and women. The problem's with with what they're affecting with children. And we gotta take this thing seriously. It ought to affect us. They go, are we having an impact in the other direction? Can we demonstrate how to love children? Can we demonstrate how to, how to save children from a life of sin? Do you know why God had Joshua go in and slaughter every man, woman, and child in, in Canaan? Do you know why he did that? There were very few times that God ever demanded that everybody slaughtered. Do you know why? When they dug up and they found pictures and they found descriptions of what the adults were doing with their children. It was God's grace that he was wiping them all out. There's no way to save the children. I don't want to wait till that day. I think we can save some kids before it is too late. But you got to open your eyes. you got to stop being so used to how things are. We gotta become a team. Go to Exodus. Exodus chapter 18. While you're looking for that, let me just, uh, let's just make a statement here. Ask God to give you a real burden. What's a real burden? A burden is an unquenchable pull. By God. It's a call of God. A burden is an unquenchable pull to do something greater than we currently are. A burden weighs us down. It, it's not pleasant. A burden is not fun. When you have a burden for the teens, you don't go, Woo, it's the greatest thing working with teens. You know when you have a vision and a burden for souls to be saved? You're not you're you're excited to go out, but boy, you're worn out when you do. Because it's our burden. We need something that concerns us about just how much bondage people are in. We need to care about others and not ourselves anymore. Why well, don't have time? Make time. We need to take living holy seriously. We need to accept persecution. Take up our cross. 
Oh, well, my illness is my cross. No, it's not. Your illness is a, a, a struff, is, is, is a time of suffering that you may be going through for a season, but your cross is a mockery when you try to live for Christ. Take it. I just want to say that before I got to our next point. Exodus chapter 18. The team we must all become. Exodus 18. Moses trying to do everything. And if you've ever been in a ministry, you'll always try to do everything and you'll just wear yourself out and you'll just... You know, because you love serving. You know, when you get into a ministry, you love that ministry. But look in chapter 18, verse 22. And, and let, me, let me go back to verse 19. This is Jethro. This is his father-in-law encouraging... Uh, let me go back. Verse 17. And Moses' father-in-law said unto Moses, The thing that thou doest, the things that you're doing, is not good. Thou wilt surely wear away, we'd say wear out, both thou and this people that is with thee, for this thing is too heavy for thee. Moses was trying to answer everybody's question. He was trying to give them God's laws, trying to point them to the right way to do things. Right? Trying to tell them, this is how to live. He says, this is too heavy for thee, for thou art not able to perform it thyself alone. Hearken now unto my voice, and I will give thee counsel, and God shall be with thee. Be thou for the people to God, where that thou mayest bring the, the, the causes, their needs, unto God. Thou shalt teach them ordinances and laws. Do what God calls you to do, and shall show them the way wherein thou must, they must walk, and the work that they must do. Moreover, thou shalt provide out of all the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth, men who hate covetousness, and place such men over the people to be rulers of thousands and rulers of hundreds and rulers of fifties and rulers of ten. Key verse, verse 22. And let them judge the people at all seasons. And it shall be that every great matter they shall bring unto thee, but every small matter they shall judge. So shall it be, I love the next word, easier for thyself. And they shall bear the burden with thee. See that word burden? Isn't that good? Now, <clears throat> in a church, if you don't, if you don't come, if the carpet's gotta be hoovered and uh, Eric can't be here, even though he's just down the road. If, if nobody else is here, guess who's going to end up hoovering the, the, the carpet? I will. Amen. But you know, if I hoover the carpet and I clean the toilets, and if I'm, if I'm, uh, 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 busy setting up next door for Sunday school and trying to prepare Sunday morning preaching, Sunday night preaching, trying to, um, uh, text people and phone up people, find out where people are, uh, 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 go through my prayer list and pray for people, I start to wear out. Amen. And then if I started saying, well, Mona's not going to be there on Sunday, so how am I going to teach Sunday school? I guess I'll bring Sunday school kids in here, and for the first 15 minutes, I'll teach Sunday school, and then for the last 45 minutes, I'll preach to the adults. That would wear me out. Would you agree with that? So what do we need? A team. We need to spread it out. We need to spread out all the work. And who all should be involved? Everybody. Everybody. That's what we need to be. What do you do with a vision? If we have a burden, if we have a vision, if we're supposed to be doing something, let's all do it. Amen? Let's all become part of this thing. Don't say, well, that's past that. I'm glad you see that. At least I've got a burden, but wouldn't you do well to have the same? And you better believe you're going to have some opposition. I, I, um, what are we up against? Well, you're up against yourselves, first off. <laughs> Your worst enemy is going to be yourself. Acts 20. Paul says, I'm, 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 I'm committing you to God. I'm, I'm telling you what, uh, I'm, I'm glad for you to be there. He's talking to the, to the preachers there in Ephesus and he says, but 
Pay attention to yourselves because from your own selves will men rise up who want to have disciples to get to follow them instead of Jesus. He says, you got to watch out your own attitudes, your own spirit. You better watch out. Immature people always seek leadership. They don't seek to serve. You ever notice that? Immature people will come along and say, oh, I'll do this if they can get the glory. And they end up destroying others. Ladies and gentlemen, watch your tongue. Watch what you say about the ministries of this church and about the servants of this church. Because you could destroy. Your kids could hear you. Your wife can hear you. Your husband could hear you and destroy their resolve to go on for God. Watch your tongue. Watch your heart. Pay attention to your attitude. Get rid of your critical spirit. Both ladies and gentlemen, watch your spirit because our worst enemy is right there. Watch out for carnal Christians too. <laughs> I've always, I've always watched birds of a feather flock together, don't they? And if you got a bad attitude, you'll hang around with people who have a bad attitude. Don't do it. Watch out for carnal Christians who don't want to be made to feel bad. I watched it this morning. As I preached on serving and being a servant, I watched some people look down like this. As I looked at them, <laughs> I went, what's going on? Carnal Christians. They don't want to be made to be embarrassed. They don't want to be made to feel bad. They don't want to be embar- uh, uh, pointed out that they're not doing something for God. You know, one day in front of all of Christianity, we're going to be standing up there at the judgment seat of Christ and we will be totally embarrassed when the Lord says... Now, why didn't you do anything? You think you worry about me embarrassing you? You ought to be ashamed of yourself. I'm talking figuratively. Amen. Our enemy is carnality in our church. What's the one church that Jesus said made him sick? Church of Laodicea and says, you're lukewarm. You don't care anymore. Watch out for carnality. Folks, our opposition The enemy that we're fighting is a digital age without limits. George Soros over there in, 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 in America, you've got stuff on the internet. You, we are just one click away on the internet from some of the most vile, filth, wicked sin. One click away. How'd that get like that? Tons of money. We're in a digital age. Look at the stuff we're up against. Yeah. There's a level of deep apathy among Christians and sin so unimaginable, I can't tell you. I mean, I I think Christianity doesn't evolve, does it? Christianity's supposed to be, you know what? You know what a Christian's supposed to be? Like Christ. He doesn't change yesterday, today, and forever. So, if I'm supposed to be a Christian, I need to be like him. I don't want to be like the hip-hop popular guys who claim to be Christian. By the way, I've watched all those hip-hop Christians all become some homosexuals. The big name singers of the 1980s and the 1990s and those who are in the big ministry all have been exposed because they got into positions of power and they were all moved by the spirit. Wrong spirit, by the way. And then they all came out as queers. I don't want that. I want a Holy Spirit, Holy God-driven Christianity. Amen. 
You're not going to be very popular with the other Christians. We've got a devil who is freer, more free than ever before in the Western world to do as he pleases. What, what the Western world used to have over it was a, was an umbrella of spiritual protection. Because the preaching of John Knox, the preaching of men like George Whitfield, the preaching of, of people like Jonathan Edwards in America, the preaching of the gospel and the preaching of the holiness of God, the preaching through the Bible from stem to stern in Europe, John Huss, Martin Luther, all throughout the last 500 years of the Reformation and all that, they developed a shield over Europe that protected Europe from the devil. The stuff that was going on all over the rest of the world, in Africa, South America, ungodliness going on all the rest of the world, wasn't happening in America, in, 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 in Europe and ultimately in America because of preaching. We're, we're, we're doomed. That shield is gone. The devil is just, he just walks into every community and has control. That's what we're up against. Here's the invitation. What pit were you saved from? Remember that day you were lost? Somebody convinced you, I'd like to find you. You remember that? <clears throat> well, put yourself now back in that day and remember it was like, how wonderful it was to get saved and say, I'd like to see it now in somebody else's life. Never trivialize what we do here. I mean, we meet, I don't care if we met in, in, in outdoors, I don't care. But what we do here matters for, for Ireland. It matters for Ballon College. It ought to matter for your home. Don't ever trivialize our vision, whether it is from year to year, year 2018. Let that be our rally cry. We need to build. Let's rise up and build. We will build something. I'm tired of watching stuff torn down. Allow that new vision to affect your heart. Wouldn't it be nice if, if, if people weren't just here physically, but here people were here singing serving with all their heart. Will you become the team that we're supposed to be or are you just going to leave it up to Pastor and Brother Dan, Brother John? Ah, oh, you're doing fine. Don't say that. Join the team. I don't know what to do. God will show you. God will burden you. Sometimes you just got to show up. Mona started showing up and look at where she is now. I put her in charge of teaching those kids and those Indians over there and I bet you two years ago, she'd say, don't you dare ask me ever to do that. And there she is. She's in charge. So if you show up, you'll be surprised where I might put you. you mean? <laughs> we become part of the team. Expect the opposition. That won't like it. Who cares? Let me read to you Habakkuk 2.2 again. And the Lord answered me and said, write a vision. I have, Lord. Make it plain upon the PowerPoint. That's what it is in the original. that he may run that readeth it. Have you seen the vision? Have you read it? Have you seen the call? Let's run. It's not just walk out of here, let's say, Lord, when, when God spoke to Philip and say, Philip, there's a guy on a chariot. Why don't you give him the gospel? He's reading out of the Bible. He couldn't ask for the better thing. You know what Philip did? He ran thither. God gave him a vision. And he ran. Let's stand. Every head bowed, every eye closed. <clears throat> Father, I thank you 
that we don't want to just dry up and die, but that we want to live and we want to have an effect. Lord, in our, of ourselves, we have nothing to offer this world. There's nothing to compete with the music. There's nothing to compete with the entertainment. There's no way we could ever compete with the, with the quality and the money and the abilities of the world. So I don't want to, don't want to compete on that level, but there's one area I can compete on, and that's in the area of serving, ministering. I would like to be great at that. I'd like to be great at serving. I pray that that is all of our desire. Maybe you would tonight just give us a vision. All together, one big vision together, but each individual a burden for a specific thing. Maybe we've given up on soul winning. Giving up on spending our time helping out in the choir or any other ministry. Tonight I pray we've decided I'm getting back in. I have given the devil too much of my time. I'm going to give it back to you, Lord. I've given the devil too much of my attitude. I'm giving my heart back to you, Lord. I used to, I used to be excited. I used to be a part and I've stopped. God forgive me. Let me get back in. Let me be on fire for you, Lord. Let me run. I've read the vision. Let me run now. I pray, God, that there'd just be a whole group of people here deciding to run with me. In Jesus' name, amen.